Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the interview from our April 2021 UX event, where you'll hear from John Dilworth. John is currently the Senior Director of User Experience at Lucid. In this interview, the host Ben Peck will be asking John how he works with his team to build products that delight the customer. How is delight measured? How is it prioritized within his team? And how has it driven product decisions? A big thanks to Lucid for hosting this meetup. So now, let's hear John Dilworth's interview, Delighting the Customer. I'm going to start the intro with, I, I was, and pun intended, delighted to see some of the names that appeared on the, on the screen. But this takes me back to like somewhere around 1987, hanging out in Vernal, Utah, in Devin Howell's backyard on his awesome mini ramp skateboarding. This is kind of what, where my mindset was in, in high school was just have fun, do whatever. Um, and I was kind of into, I was into art, art programs. I wanted to be an artist. That's kind of, kind of what I had imagined in my mind because it was fun. I mean, that's all I kind of thought about at the time. I didn't give any, any thought really to what it would mean to make money or have to survive or, the tech industry really hadn't even, I mean, it was out there, but it wasn't the web as we know it. I went to, I went to college and it's good to see you, Devin. <laughs> so uh, I went to, I went to college and at Weber State University and somewhere around 1994, the World Wide web was made public. And this was kind of, kind of exciting. I was working um, in the library for the IT department of the college. And they asked us to make a website for, for Weber State University. And we are like, well, what does this mean? And so you go down and you look at Netscape and Netscape 1.0 had no images. And you just look at, when you'd open up the World Wide Web, you didn't open your browser, you open up the, the internet. And the feature on Netscape was new sites added to the internet. And it was like pretty exciting. You'd see five or six uh, new sites have been added that day. And then later in the day, there'd be more. And then after like five days, it, it didn't even matter. You couldn't keep up with it, but it was pretty exciting. And then they added, they added images. So the browser mosaic came out and it supported images. And as a, a graphic design student, it's pretty exciting. Like I was like, this is really cool. Like you can put images on this website and people can see it all over the world. And we made some horrific looking, ugly websites and messing around with stuff, stuff all the time, but it sort of opened this vision of what it could be like. And I, I left college and went to work for a company. It's kind of like, it was kind of the hot tech company at the time. iOmega was this company in Roy, Utah, and they made zip drive, zip disks, and jazz drives. And it was- I totally remember this. <laughs> you put like 100, 100 megabytes on a $20 disk. And that was amazing. Like it was like the best thing ever because it used to cost $100. So they cut the cost in way down and it was pretty exciting. I was working for this cool company they were, when you go to these, these big exhibits and shows, they were the hot company at the time. Yeah, everybody in the design departments had a, a zip drive so that you could hold all of your design files on the zip, uh, a zip disk. It was, I totally remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. They were like the first computer peripheral that was kind of cool because everything else was like beige and like that plastic and kind of ugly. And they made this thing that was blue 
it was like different. It stood out and they had this fun marketing and fun campaign that go along with it. So it was, it was kind of exciting. And I worked for a software department designing software, which is something I'd never heard of before in school. Didn't know how to do it, but I started learning about this human factors engineering and we were building, building prototypes and figuring out things as we went. And I, I left there and worked, worked for a little agency where you started building, building websites. Uh, we're still doing a lot of like CD ROM authoring and all kinds of crazy stuff, doing animation, flash websites, all, all that kind of stuff for years and spent, a, spent a lot of time there. I worked for, uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake city. They have a big software department and we were doing lots of internal, internal tools and, and different type of, of process-related websites, things you'd never never think about, but a lot of really interesting UX problems to solve. And I I left there to work for Family Search, and subsequently after after Family Search went to Ancestry.com, where I spent a good eight years. Uh, exciting working with a great team, a lot of growth there. I learned a lot about about design and community and uh, changing. Work, fun working with a product that uh, has millions of millions of users around the world. And uh, after Ancestry, I went to work for Instructure. Uh, spent about a year there working with their on their design systems team. And now I'm uh, landed at, at Lucid, which is a really really exciting company, doing a lot of really neat things. And uh, I didn't really see it from the outside when I was thinking about you know where my next step would be. But I'm thrilled to be thrilled to be at Lucid right now. That was probably too long of an intro, but I had to get the skateboarding in and the cool <laughs> the cool iOmega stuff. So <laughs> no, that's it, it. Does show the breadth of of your experience and. Um, where you've been and give some context to the to the team so or the group so what is your definition of like a delightful experience I think we could start there and then we can go a little bit deeper as we go down well I think it's just you, you like it I mean that's easy it's like a human condition it's a human emotion we feel like when we're when it doesn't suck and when it's fun it's delightful like that is I think it's pretty simple I don't think we can put too much more on on that, if we're doing something that that we're trying to do and it feels good, we get in that moment of flow. We enjoy doing it. It saved us some kind of pain. It's usually tipping into the the delight side. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't feel like a chore. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you give us some examples of how you've striven to like create delightful experience over the years and what opposition looked like? to creating those delightful experiences? I mean, kind of start, like, I don't know if the intent ever has been to like, I'm going to create a delightful experience. I mean, that is, that is probably something a company like Disney or, or any other company would, um, would have that objective. Like we just want to make people smile or have fun as like your end goal. I've never been in that, that situation where, where, I mean, some of my art projects, that's what I try to do. I think that making art is fun. And, uh, you know, I hope that people see it and they, and they like it. They just have like a pleasurable moment or they're just happy about what they see or it sparks some kind of interest. So I, I just start there. Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever started with that as the end goal. However, in, in all of the, the stuff that I've worked on over the years, that has been a part of it. You're trying to, to do something that attracts attention, um, trying to make something better for the customer that was 
that was bad before trying to you're just trying to trying to make the world a better place in some way and that, and that i think falls into delight so I, you know one example uh, just going going back to my first days at 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 i omega we were making these cd roms and one of the things in opposition to a delightful experience in the in the early days of computing was when you when you bought a product you couldn't just plug it in and it would work it would identify the product it would download the the drivers from the internet and you're all set up and working there was like a lot of complicated things involved in just getting something to work and if you did it in the wrong order uh windows was notorious for for just messing it up forever so if you like plugged in the product before you installed the driver windows windows 95 would install a default driver for whatever it was and your product wouldn't work and you could never change it. You had to like go through this complicated task of, of redoing it. So one of our, one of our first objectives when working there was like, how do we make it? So when people buy the product and they put this, you know, we get the, all the steps in the right order, they do things in the right order. We, we make it kind of fun for them as they install it and everything gets working because if you plug the product in for the first time and it works, that's, a delightful experience versus getting a product and nothing works and have to call support and have to do, do all of these things. So we did a lot of really creative workarounds. Like the way we would des- the way they designed the box had, we had to stack it in a way that the CD-ROM was on top. It had to have a big message. It said, put the CD-ROM in first. And so we'd get people to do that step. And then uh, we would have the CD-ROM start up automatically and it takes a while to load information off of a CD-ROM because you're, it holds 650 megabytes at the time and it's got to spin around. I mean, this is like, I don't even know if, if anyone even has a CD-ROM anymore. It's like this weird thing, but it was, it was a lot of work to get it going. So you would load this stuff and it, it took a long time. And so you're trying to, okay, what can we do to keep people entertained while this CD-ROM is loading? So we would, we'd try to come up with some kind of, intro animation or something that was kind of fun, but didn't take up too much space. So we could load it quickly and it would usually loop or play some kind of animation or get, get the user excited about uh, the product. And these were totally ridiculous. Like we did, you know, we hired these bands to like, like write custom like rock music and all this stuff. And we had weird little animations where we just try to do stuff flying all over the screen. And I mean, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous, but it seemed kind of cool at the time because your the computers didn't do things like this. It was like your computer's right. playing video and it's got some music going on these crappy speakers and it's fun. So, so we would do that. But then at that point, the screen would open up and we would take the user through the software and make sure that this piece got installed. And we did some really, I did some hacky stuff that was, absolutely crazy like we would figure out how to copy files in the right place on the system and move things around and i was doing this as like a graphic designer because i just figured out if we can move this stuff around and solve the problem right then it works better and it and it was actually really great like we were able to reduce a lot of the problems a lot of the support calls that would come in when something didn't work because you would do a lot of these things behind the scenes while we're presenting the user with some kind of fun message about what their product's going to be like. Did it take a lot of convincing to like be able to try to create those fun experiences while they waited rather than just being 
super basic with like loading because it sounds like there's definitely creative ideas that then were these are our moments of hey we could actually have a little bit of fun in this scenario because we have to we have to wait the a, a customer or a user has to wait for something to happen before you can get into the the functional reliable aspects of of doing the thing well you know budgets were always a concern i mean it, it was it was nice and we had the luxury back then of working for a company that was they had grown from 2 million to 2 billion in like less than a year and so they just had they had more cash than they knew what to do with and they were trying everything so we had that that luxury of kind of like doing whatever we want but there were constraints about about you know how to make this right and how to not disrupt things like if in the cd rom world you couldn't just change it when the cd got shipped it was a physical object with that code that way everywhere and there is no updating it over the internet or fixing your your typos or anything like that so there was a very rigid process in releasing the these kinds of things and at the time it just seemed it seemed like normal things that you have to do is go through this uh, iso 9000 very specific manufacturing process and have everything reviewed in in a lot of detail uh, so there you know there those kind of barriers there were budget barriers there was just time and know-how everything we were doing was brand new like we didn't know how to do anything. We didn't know what the consequences or effects would be. Um, the C- CD-ROM authoring was brand new. It was changing so quickly, the tools that you use. I mean, a lot like today, but it felt even more accelerated back then, but it was just kind of kind of exciting. It, you know, in other, other, other places I've worked and teams I've worked on, that has been, it is a challenge, but mostly it's a challenge. Most of the opposition is in you know, in my my own head, like being caught in trying to do something that maybe isn't the right thing or looking at the problem the wrong way. I think there's always a way to get to get something done if you if you go through the steps, uh, can communicate your story the right way and and work through it. Yeah, I mean, within every every business, there's always some constraints, right? Whether that's technical constraints, business restraints, timing restraints. Um, and as you've worked through those problems or when we've identified problems within the work that you're, you're going to do, how do you balance like solving problems versus creating that like shock and awe or delightful experience and finding space and time or oppor- finding opportunities to create a little bit of that delight while also hitting the the requirements of of what we're trying what you're trying to build from a business perspective or a technical perspective or so i yeah i think that you know what you're asking is kind of um you know balance between it is kind of an interesting way to, to think about it it's more i mean first it's realizing that solving the problem is going to be delightful for somebody so just doing that is like it's just table stakes. Like you've got to solve a problem if you want to make any, anybody delighted about anything, but you can do that in a very boring way, or you can do it in a way that is fun and familiar. And it is, I mean, it can be, it's a challenge. Like the way that, the way that I see things and the way we all see things in, in a creative industry is going to be a little bit different and can be risky to, to go in, into that outrageous territory 
I think that you, I think you have to, to tread carefully. You have to double check your own ideas, ask yourself if, you know, am I crazy thinking this, that this would be cool or fun, or is it, is it safe? It's also fun to challenge the people you work with um, and ask them, you know, the question to say, so if they push back on ideas, you can ask them the question and say, well, how, so you want to be really conservative about this project and really safe and not, not shake things up or not, you know, not put anything at risk so that we just have just barely enough improvement and turning the table on things like that will let people think, Oh no, no, I want to, we want to do something really great and cool, but people are also justified in, in pushing back on, on, on me or on us. Cause I, I do have some really bad ideas. They're kind of crazy, but I know that some of the ideas I've had have been wildly terrible. Yeah. Uh, when I think of delightful experiences, I think of little things that happen in, uh, in an experience that you, that you're doing. So MailChimp comes to mind often with the, I'm, I've got a lot of stress right before I push that send email to thousands of people. Um, and they create this like slight delightful experience when the second you press send, you're like, that you see their little monkey hand go up and say, yay, good job. You kind of have that like release of uh, emotion to some degree, but there's, there's just a simple delightful experience or when you plus, when you hit, hit the like button on a, on a Twitter post and you see that like a little explosion of uh, I like this kind of expression. Um, Justin has a really good uh, a question here that he posted in the chat. He says, can you talk about the process you currently have implemented at Lucid to ensure a feature is, is a delightful experience? And what does it look like from concept to delivery? Yeah, I can, I can hint at that a little bit. I can't say that this is the process that I've implemented because I haven't been there a long time. But, but one, one great thing, Lucid it has, a, has a set of, we call it the the way of product product development. And one of the, the four main features is that we build for delight. The general principle around, around that is that we, we just strive to delight the customer in everything that we do, whether it's the programming, the customer support, the, the UX design, any level that is that is brought up in, as a core value or principle of the of the team. This wasn't wasn't implemented or pushed on by me, but it's one of the reasons that I wanted to work for a company like that. Is they really thinking uh, forward, thinking about that, and and it's a real thing. It's really exciting when you're in you're in a, a meeting talking about the product, and the head of engineering comes out and says says, "Hey, are we doing enough to delight the customer in this? Like, it just seems like this isn't that exciting." Or our VP of product says, "Hey, like these de- these designs could be like." couldn't they be like nicer or make the customer, you know, is there something we can do to make this, this make, you know, a little more um, exciting or interesting for the user. And it's brought up and referred to constantly from the executive level all the way down. So that makes it, that makes it really easy to implement that uh, as, as we go along. Now, as far as, you know, from concept to delivery, because it's top of mind and because we're thinking about that, in the product, you know, we're trying to make sure that those are part of every, when we're into sprint planning and we're talking about what are, what are some features we can add that are going to make this experience more delightful. We have, you know, every, every level of that 
of those areas. And I think we can talk about some of those, those areas, but, you know, it comes down to all of the, all of the basic things. It's like, are we, are we helping the customer get through this process faster? Will that make it more delightful? Are we, are we uh, doing something that makes it a little bit fun when they get a success? I think the thing you mentioned was, was great about the, the MailChimp. There's another one I'm reminded of is the one that uh, designers implemented at Instructure when a student submits their assignment on time, they get the confetti, confetti kind of like uh, goes across the screen. I was really skeptical. I was like, man, that's, that's going to annoy people. But it was like really, people were really excited about it. They loved it. They felt good that, you know, they, and it reinforced that behavior of getting your, getting your assignments in on time. So you could get that, that little bit of relief. Uh, So, so coming through, you know, back to this question at Lucid is just, you know, starting from the concept level is just, we're thinking about it. We're designing ways. We have designers experimenting with with uh, tools that can add those visual delight features, the eye candy that, that makes it interesting. Uh, we have, you know, looking at the processes that we have and, and finding the pain points, identifying the pain point is one of the biggest things that you can do in every process uh, through, through journey mapping and make sure that you see where the low points are for the customer. Uh, getting all of those things and then delivering. It's like taking the time to put those, those extra nice things into, into production. Having the support of engineering is, uh, and the leadership at Lucid is one of the things that really makes that happen. I feel like I don't even have to push that hard for those kinds of things. Everyone, if anything, is pushing me. So, Yeah, that was one of my additional questions um, was just, is it, do you feel like it's just the design industry that cares about delightful products or are there other industries like product and engineering that really, really desire to make it a priority? Cause it, it seems like it would need to be a shared level of desire at the leadership level, as well as at the team level to, to really look for opportunities to create these, um, extra levels of delight within the product. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not just the designers. And if anything, it, you know, it might just be the designers that are thinking about the sorts of visual delight indicators, because that's how we think about the screens and we think about what we're seeing uh, on the screen. But, and that may be actually a flaw in our own thinking about, about delight uh, from, from design. But I think, you know, everybody wants to make people happy in some way. We want to make great products, products that delight people, make a lot of money. And so if you're a business guy and your product is not doing well, you're going to be, you're going to care about that. If, you know, money is your metric, um, you're going to care about that too. So I think, you know, everywhere you can find it there. I mean, there are engineers that spend, they take monumental efforts to make their code run faster and do it better. And they come up with craziest kinds of algorithms and, and all this work to do like some task. And it's it's not just because they're, they're like geeking out over it and they think the code is cool. It's like they have the exact same desires as a designer or anyone else. It's like they want, a, they want a product to work well, to be used by lots of people and, and you know, make, make somebody's life easier somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Laura has her. Um, I just wanted to touch on that because you brought up the confetti thing at Instructure. And I actually think 
that that was a front end developer's idea. He was pushing it. It was like a side project for him. So I do think that engineers and developers care just as much as design about delighting the customer. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, that clarification. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, Melissa. I'm glad you brought that up. And carving out time for that is really important too, because I know from an engineering standpoint, we have uh, an engineering day once a week where engineers can work on things that they want at Seismic at least. So finding that opportunity or that space or carving out space to come up with these ideas of how we can delight them, I, I think makes a lot of sense. Laura had a good question here of, as, as you've moved into management roles, how do you enable your employees to design for delight? One way is, you know, stay out of their way. Like they've got great ideas and let them, you know, champion ideas where employees are trying to be, find things that are creative and express, express things. It is, I think as you, it's easy to, as you start getting into management to start feeling that weight of responsibility and wanting to avoid risk a little bit and, you know, play it safe and do the safe things. And probably, probably some of that happens because, you know, maybe I got burned a bunch of times in the past when I went out on a limb with some crazy idea, you know, got maybe got in trouble a little bit for blowing, you know, $10,000 hiring a, a comedian to do a, a product install video instead of doing it technical. Maybe there's things like that have happened in the past that as you, as you start getting into management, that was, that was unfortunately not hypothetical, but I think that tendency is real. It's like you get into management, you want to play it safe and playing it safe is you can be successful just a little bit and it's still successful. And so there's that sort of safety barrier that you could build up when you're not the one doing things and you, you just want to move along and do that. But a lot of the really great ideas come from people that are immersed in the product, your team, your employees, and they're, they have creative ideas. So, so taking those ideas and championing them so that you're, you're making sure that they can find the right, the story can be told to the right people. So those things can get approved and pushed through. That's, that's one thing. I think the other thing that enables the teams is to build delight is to really have a focus on making sure that they're solving the right the right problems and delighting in the right way. I could kind of answer this with a little bit of an experience I had in Ancestry. In you know, back in 2014, we were we did this major design of Ancestry, and like this is I was coming in there and I was senior designer and I, I was working on this. You know, in my mind as a designer, it felt like the biggest problem at Ancestry was the design. It's like it looks old. Everything looks. We, you know, we even, we gave like a bad nickname to the, the old design system and we called it like burnt summer. You know, it was like, we just, the designers were like, we knew it was old and it was thought it needed to be updated. And in our minds, that was like the top priority. And this is going to, we, you know, the thinking was for me, the most delightful thing would be like giving everything a new design, but that wasn't necessarily true for the customer. So we, you know, we did all the work, we got all this stuff, we did all the focus groups, the surveys, and felt like the customers liked the design better. And it wasn't, when we released it, it wasn't that they didn't like it and that it didn't delight them. It was that we, it was about all the stuff that we didn't do. So there were a lot of problems, other problems that also existed in the product 
over a lot of years. And the customer, they cared about those more than they cared about the way things looked and the visual design and all of these things. So even though we had implemented a lot of really delightful features, they were the wrong types of things to satisfy most of our customers. That actually has the effect of creating a little bit of backlash where if you do that, you get the wrong thing, then you're at risk for getting backlash. It's like, well, why did, you know, and these are the kind of comments we would get back. It's like, you know, why do you spend all, waste all this money hiring designers who only do this? And then, and then you should hire someone like hire programmers to fix the real problem. And that's the perception that, that we created from a large number uh, of the community. And so it's, and it's, you know, I don't know, that work probably had to be done, but had we spent more time looking at what the real problems were and more focus on the customers, maybe the result would have been a little bit different. I mean, you can't always make everyone happy. Like if anyone's seen the, the subpar parks, like the one-star reviews of the national parks, like you just can't, you're not going to make everyone happy. You're not going to delight everyone no matter what you do, but your goal is to, is to get a lot of people, people in there. Do you have any uh, examples of like when delight really just doesn't make sense in a product or, but for some reason people hold on to something that makes them like happy, even though it, it, it just doesn't seem logical. Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, it can, it can start to get, it can start to get irritating if like, if we're thinking of everything, like, oh, I got to delight the user when they click this button. It's like, there are things that you have to do every day and you just want to do them and, and not think about them. Delight can actually, you know, if you're, if you're going out of your way, it can become, become kind of annoying. It's like when you go into, I experience this all the time. Like there are stores that I don't go into because I know the salesperson is going to come up. It's like, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Are you like, and they're trying to make it a delightful experience for the customer and they're trying to be friendly and they're nice and everything, but I just don't, I don't want to talk with anybody. I like I want to go in and find my thing. And so I like even go in the back door and like, you know, beeline away from the, the desk so they don't say anything to me or talk to me. And I think it's the same in, it's the same in software. Like there are some tasks that the most delightful thing is get me through it as fast as possible so I can get on to the, the most delightful part of my day, which is going to be hitting the mountain bike trail at five o'clock or whatever, whatever it is. It's like some things just being fast, uh, just being doing it right is more important. Yeah. It seems like there needs to be tight coupling of solving a problem and creating an opportunity for delight in the, like, it seems like you could create too much effort or too many opportunities or too many touch points of delight that start to become annoying and how do you balance between solving a problem but also solving it in a delightful way i think can be can be really important i i'm thinking of when you brought up the confetti in in structure i it reminded me of like within iPhones and you text happy new year you get that like a firework effect and it kind of vibrates your phone and you kind of want to send that out to multiple people at that time. But if every time I sent a text to anyone, it did something like that, it would be majorly annoying, right? So mm -hmm. how, how do you find ways to, or how do you know when to use Delight 
while also solving the problem at the same time? Well, one, I mean, one way is just to, I think, especially in software design, it really question any kind of delight or any feature that you're adding that adds any steps or time to the process. So if you're doing, if you're doing anything that adds an extra step or adds, you know, the user has to do one, they have to dismiss the dialogue that says, great job. If you have to do that, then you're, then you're failing at it. You know, one, one example it reminds me when I, when I was a little kid, my, my grandpa was a, was a barber. He had in his barber shop. And I remember this, he had a, there was a booster seat for little, when little kids come in to get their haircut, you could get a booster seat because you have to get your head up above the edge of the chair so they can, so they, he could cut the hair. And it's, I guess getting your haircut is like, I don't know of any little kids that love getting their haircut. It's like scary. Your parents are telling you not to put the scissors down, put this, and then you've got an old guy with scissors like behind you and the buzzing noises and you don't want your haircut. And so it's scary. But my grandpa had this booster seat that was also like, uh, had a, a rocking horse head on it. So you would, so you weren't getting your haircut, you get to ride on the horse and he would use a barber chair to like, move the chair up and down and spin it around a couple of times. So it was like fun for little kids. And remember it was like exciting when you, when you get to do that. I mean, he, um, I remember that even like, that's kind of fun. Like get the horse out, you get to ride the horse, not get your haircut. And that specific little instance solved the problem of getting you boosted up. It solved the problem of the kid being scared and it made it fun for the user as well as, as getting, uh, everything in position to make to make that happen. So, I mean, that's that's one of the one of those areas, and I think there are a lot of things like that in software. I mean, sometimes just just solving the problem. There's a comment here from from Annika said the the best delight ex- experience for me are the ones where I don't even realize that I'm being delighted. It's like it just we got the crap out of the way so that you could get your work done. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any advice that you can give this group um, more guaranteed ways or more concrete patterns that you've seen where creating delightful experiences can be more successful than the less successful? So you've given some really good examples of at Ancestry, we decided to create some delightful experiences, but we didn't hit the mark on certain areas. And then we've gotten some really good examples of where delightful experiences can be delightful. You can have good reserve to it, but do you have any solid advice that you could give the, the group around being successful? Yeah, there, there is a, well, just, just one thing. I think there's a video that everyone should watch. It's from uh, Dana Chisnell, I think is the, is the name. And the video uh, presents a framework for, for delight uh, and breaks it into three, three categories. Call it, call it pleasure, flow, and meaning. And she breaks down how you delight in each of those, in each of those areas. Pleasure kind of being the, the high level uh, stuff that just makes it fun. The, the stuff on the surface, which, which is, which is really important. And it kind of ties this into the hierarchy of needs pyramid. Like we have a, before we can make things really pleasurable, we have the bottom layers of the pyramid, which are, you know, making your product usable, making it reliable and making it, making it functional. So once we've kind of accomplished those, then we can take it that extra step further and make, make the product uh, really nice and really fun, fun to use. Uh, second thing that I would I would offer as advice is just get your mindset around 
uh, away from the idea that that it's your product that is delightful or you know people don't come to your product to use your product they're trying to do something else they don't want to go to your website to use your website because your website's cool there are some cases of products where maybe that is the case but uh usually they're there to do something else so you, you shift that same mindset and and make your product do something or help the customer do something that you know is going to be pleasurable. Um, guaranteed ways that you can delight your customer is, like the first one is if you have influence on, on cost is a big one. Like if you can, if people are paying for something and it's expensive and you come up with a way where they get the same thing, but it's a lot cheaper, like 10 times cheaper, that's like really delightful. I remember the reason that we switched uh, over to Figma in the early days, Figma was a really cool product and it had some really great features, but the editing tool set wasn't as good as what we were using, but it was a lot cheaper than this unholy combination of all these other tools we had to use to do the same thing that Figma would do. Now Figma has been amazing and it's grown to where it's really great tool. And I, I would imagine it's, I mean, that it's covered all of those gaps in the early days, but cost is, is the reason that we were delighted with it initially. It's like, oh, we can pay 15 bucks a month per user instead of like 30 for all these other tools we're trying to use to get the same effect. The other way is just doing something better than other tools that are out there to do it. So, you know, my, my wife does, uh, she's a yoga instructor and she's, I ask her for some examples and she says, okay, like one example is there's a certain type of yoga mat. It's called the, the B mat. And she said, it's just the best because it's the stickiest, it, even if you're sweaty and it gets wet, it stays sticky. It doesn't cost more than anything else. It just like holds up better and they have like nice colors. So that is like, that's, she buys that one because it's like, it makes her yoga a delightful experience. She doesn't just like the mat because it's a mat. It just helps her have a better experience when she's, when she's teaching and, and doing yoga. And then the, the other area that I think is like a game changer for, for everyone, and this is an area that product and UX can and engineering can influence a lot. And that's just helping customers do something faster. Uh, you know, in the early days of the web, things were downloaded really slow and it's gotten progressively faster and faster, but it is still like awful experience to do anything on a web app or any program or like on your phone, it's just all the things you have to do, things you have to tap, clicking like drop downs and then scrolling to the bottom of a, like a 6,000 6, country list to get to your country. And all of these little things are just like little, little paper cuts that make it, it just insane. And if you can find ways to make that process better, the, the chances are higher. Your customer is going to get into a flow and get to the thing that makes them happy uh, faster. I mean, there's a, you can go through and just, this is a great exercise I suggest everyone do is like take whatever design you're doing, look at it. And the, as a designer, you used to seeing things on the screen and you, 
your eyes, you're moving at the speed of light. Like your eyes can go, they like click this button, do this. You know exactly how it all works in your mind. And it's, it's the speed of thought. Like it's so fast, but make yourself just say out loud all of the actual steps that you have to do on your interface. So, uh, you know, it could go something like this, like um, user reads the page content. They decide if they want to continue. They move the mouse to the credit card field. They click in the credit card field. They go to their wallet and pull out their credit card, flip it over, and then look at the numbers and type in the, the numbers and look back at the card and then type the rest of the numbers, look back at the card and type the rest of the numbers. And then they move the mouse to the expiration date field. And then they look again at the card and type in the expiration date and then go back and then type in the type it in. Then they move the mouse again to the next field and so forth. I mean, it's absurdly annoying to do that exercise, but it makes you think of how absurd your interface is that you're making people do to type that in. And you want to like, well, can we, can we cut out any of those fields? What if we implement that, the credit card scanner that just like types it all in? Like that's a pretty delightful experience is hold your credit card up to your phone and, and it gets all the numbers and you didn't have to type it in. So by doing that, you can start to, you can count and you can measure the friction for a user to get through the process. And then you can start to cut it out and make things, make things a lot easier. Uh, the book, uh, The Best Interface is No Interface by Golden Krishna is, it's my favorite book about UX design because he just goes into that in a very, I think there's one section where he describes a process like five pages of the same thing repeated over and over that you go through, but it makes a point uh, in our, in our interfaces. So making things faster, I think is, is a fantastic way to delight the customer. And we, and we expect it to happen. And if you can't make it faster, you can make it feel faster. Um, that's kind of the, the final thing is like focus on this, this area of perceived performance. If uh, we have an example at Lucid where a, user, a customer might be generating a huge uh, diagram from their, their AWS cloud configuration, and it can take five to 10 minutes, which that in internet time, like that seems absurdly painful. And it's more painful if you click go and you just see the spinner there. If um, you click go and it says, hey, this, this could take 10 minutes. Uh, maybe now's a good time to go get a, a glass of water or whatever. Maybe that, that doesn't feel so long. It's like the computer's got to do a lot of stuff. At least I'm not waiting. You know, thanks for telling me that didn't seem so bad that it took 10 minutes. It's amazing that they could do all of this stuff in 10 minutes. Um, where one experience can make you dread even five seconds can feel like the worst amount of pain uh, versus uh, five seconds can be like not that bad. So making it feel uh, fast is another area where I think designers have can have a big influence on that in the product. Yeah, I think a, another really good example of like make things appear faster than they really are I learned that Instagram, when you actually like a, an image, they immediately show the that the action was taken, but in the background, it might not take, so the heart immediately turns red, but 
in the background, it doesn't actually like the image at a system level um, until like a certain amount of time afterwards. But the immediate interaction of, of knowing that it actually took the input from the user just made people feel a lot like the app was 10 times faster when really it, it's not as fast as people might perceive it is. Yeah, um, assume that it's assume that an action is going to be successful. It's yeah, if exactly. if you know that ninety five percent of the time we don't get any issues, you it might be safe to assume that. And then the one time something failed, then you figure out oh, well how do we gracefully tell them it actually failed? It's like oh there was a problem. That's you know ninety five percent of the time it's going to be a little more delightful than sitting to wait to see that it was that everything went okay. Yeah, Cameron had a really good question. He said, awesome advice, love the horse story. Curious on some ideas around the triangle paradox of speed, cost, and quality, and picking two. You generally can't, at least the, the mentality is that you can't have all three. How, uh, how would you steer a client towards, or a customer, or internal team towards uh, taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, picture to focus on delighting the customer and solving their needs? So in, in that triangle, speed is usually referred to like how long does it take us to build it, build the feature. But I guess you could you could use it in the in the same way. Like if you know, making a feature fast, making it uh cheap and having it high quality. I think this is something where you you really have to go back to to the customer. Another another great thing to to look to look for is. Uh, Jared, Jared Spool talks a lot about this in his discussions about delight. He brings up uh, something called the Kano model, which is fantastic for, it provides a framework to talk about what features are most important and how they affect customer satisfaction. And it also gives you a, so you have a framework to talk about it. And then it also gives you a tool set to categorize those, those things in terms of how it will affect customer success. So some features might be delight features, like they we do these and the customer is going to be really excited about it. Some of the features might be, we do these and it just barely, all it does is meets their lowest level base expectations. Uh, some features, if we do them well, it increases delight. If we do them poorly, it has a, a negative effect on their on their satisfaction. Some features, it doesn't matter how we do it, their customer might be indifferent. But if you can use a, a model like that, that would allow you to that would allow you to decide. It's like, okay, is making it, you know, how do customers feel about fast versus the the level of quality or the number of features that we get into this? And that would give you some signal from the customer on how to how, sort of how to approach that. But I think it's really about, you know, leaning on the customer to make that, to provide that input rather than just picking the thing that we like or want the most. A big thanks to John Dilworth for the discussion and again to Lucid for hosting the event. If you learned some things from John's talk, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.
Thank <laughs> you.